You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 42 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Tuesday, the 14th of February, 2017. My name is Harry Knight, and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everyone. Derek Diedeker. Hello, hello. And Will Forster. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. We've agreed, me and my girlfriend have agreed not to do Valentine's Day as a mutual, yeah. which is both not going to do it. Is that really soulless? Or? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, the problem is with Valentine's Day is that anything you try to do that is a traditionally romantic thing is just going to end up a bit shit because everyone's <laughs> buying flowers so there's probably not going to be any nice flowers or they'll be expensive you can't go out for a meal because every restaurant's booked and yeah. running a really like reduced shitty menu so it can turn <laughs> tables over quickly as you can tell like, listeners harry is a timeless romantic <laughs> timeless. i love hey, this i got up this morning and i cut flowers in the garden and left a vase on the table <laughs> nice mm. yeah there you go Very fabi lucky, brought in lucky page fabi brought in roses and chocolate for danny and left them right on the desk so everybody that came through was like "Ooh, derek and i was like didn't do it i saw her on the camera and i was like don't. <laughs> Fabi's like nearly having a baby uh-huh. as well. Yeah. So she's she's so enormous that I've already said to her that I really think she should be not working, uh-huh. but she just doesn't want comes to stop anyway. working, so she comes she's in anyway. Awesome. And she bought your girlfriend flowers uh-huh. and you didn't. Uh-huh. Oh well, I felt like the least romantic person here, apart from well, obviously. I'm with you. So you guys have both just come to me. That's fine. <laughs> what, what else have you guys been up to this week? Well, I'm settling into 2017 with a kind of a new rhythm. Mm-hmm. My 2016 morning rhythm was uh, sort of get up, cup of tea, read the news headlines to make sure that the world hadn't fallen apart since <laughs> I went to bed, and then go for a surf. Mm-hmm. And now I sort of get up, have a cup of tea, read the news headlines, and then I'm just unconsolably upset at what a nincompoop the President of the United States is. <laughs> and then I go for a surf, <laughs> and then I get on with my day. Yeah. So, But I'm, I'm, so I'm okay with it. It's a rhythm. It's fine. It's creating some great, great TV for everyone. And it's a nice opportunity to use the word nincompoop, which doesn't <laughs> get used enough. <laughs> Very true. I've also been answering a lot of emails from people who emailed in about the last segment that we did the diet Mm -hmm. one that we did a few episodes ago so thank you very much to everyone who emailed in i was kind of thinking it was going to be one of those like okay here we go open the floodgates (laughs) but actually most people sent really nice emails in and the people who who wanted to take issue on a few points that we brought up they did it in a really nice way so thanks for everyone who wrote in as a podcast fan and listener myself and someone who finds myself emailing other podcasts from time to time Mm -hmm. it's really helpful when you get a lot of emails if someone writes in and says like this is a thing that, that I disagree with. I mean, you know, it's always nice to start with, start and finish with a compliment. The old compliment <laughs> but to, to specifically say one thing, because what's really difficult is, you know, when you're receiving an email and you have, you know, what we call a gish gallop, like 20 or 30, oh, and sort of this point and that point, And then there's a premise thrown in there. And then there's a slight mischaracterization of an argument thrown in there. And then there's a false dichotomy thrown in there. And you sort of, you, you think, well, oh, there's so much. I don't even know where to start. So, my advice would be, listeners, if you're ever emailing any podcast, just or choose anybody. or or anyone actually, yeah, I would choose just the one thing that you think is most pertinent and you feel most strongly about, and then discuss that one thing because then you're likely to actually have a productive conversation. Everyone that I that I got emails from, even people that didn't agree, as I say, they're all really nice emails. So thank you very much, to everyone. Nice thank to you. have a, a civil debate about things from yes. time to time. Yeah, exactly. Nice civil fact-based <laughs> debate. There was two caveats, actually, that I wanted to add to the conclusion. So I would have saved myself a lot of emailing if instead of saying a varied diet that's mostly plants and don't drink and smoke, I'd said a moderate varied diet that's mostly fresh plants. And I didn't put those in because I felt like it was fairly sort of self-explanatory, but mm-hmm. a couple of people took issue with that. And the other issue that, that sort of came up was some people felt that I had characterized everyone who has in any way ever advocated organic farming as a con man. And I certainly don't think that. And that isn't what I was trying to put forward. So I, I guess those are sort of two caveats I would make to the, to the piece we did last time. Very good. Um, while we're on the subject of corrections, in fact, in our last show, uh, Harrison recommended a video edit of Seal Beach. And I wasn't 100% certain where Seal Beach was. And we sort of settled on it being one of the LA beaches. 
it is apparently not LA in Orange <laughs> County. There's a there's a, a river at the north end of Seal Beach, south end of uh, Long Beach, and that's the borderline between LA and Orange County. So I apologise to all of you people in Orange <laughs> County that I made it seem like you're in LA. I, for me, I, I don't know. When I look on a map, I sort of LA just seems to be this big sprawling it's mass. Massive. Yeah. Um, I think. I yeah. Think there's you, just I, New York, LA, the middle bit. Yeah, that's, that's, that's America, isn't it? That's yeah. some, I think that's yeah. geographically yeah. accurate, no? That's how the voting breaks down. <laughs> You've got east, west, and the middle. <laughs> You've been up too much, Will? I've been planning my Cuba trip. Yeah. Yeah, so we fly... I'm really jealous of that. Yeah. Um, we're going for just a five-day trip to Havana. We're going to have a look to see if there's any surf before we go, and then maybe take our boards, but otherwise it's just going to be a cultural trip. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's looking pretty fun. Why are you going to Cuba? Uh, it just looks like a very cool place to visit. I mean, culturally, you know, it's had a, obviously a, an amazing history, good and bad, but it's, it's a very beautiful place. You know, it's right in the Caribbean for a start. Sort of imagine it to be part of the world that hasn't in some way been changed in modern times, in my lifetime, for example. You know, it's still got a lot of the historical buildings in their state that they were maybe 20 years ago. Um, a lot of the old cars are still there. I was going to say, so, I know you're going to love the cars. Yeah, That's exactly. right up your alley. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. So I just think it's a very interesting place to go and visit since we're so close. You know, it's like an hour and a half flight from San Jose. Oh, you know what I want to do? I want to say hi to Corin. Uh, I would like to as well. Yeah. So Corin, if, I don't know if anyone listening would remember, Corin came second last year in the the Women's Tour Fantasy Surf League. We, it was our first sort of phone-in, I guess you'd call it, with a listener, you know, as a result of her coming second in that in the, the Fantasy League. And she actually came to sur- stay with Sir Simply as a mm-hmm. guest last week, um, and I coached her. So um, we had an amazing time, and she, she really does rip. She's a fantastic longboarder, and we just had a great time hanging out and, and surfing Guiana. So hello, Corin. I'll second that. It's really nice, actually, you know, now that we've been doing this show, how long, Harry? Two years? Two years now. And uh, the amount of guests that come through the resort that that have listened to us. Yeah, and it's it's just, it's awesome. So thank you to everyone that takes time to listen to us. And uh, sometimes when we're all sitting here chatting, I forget that anyone's listening. (laughs) People come up to me and will start conversations with me in the water about things I've said. And and I'm like, how do they know that? Last time I was on the podcast, Mm -hmm. I had a very sad story about my moto being stolen. You did. And I still to this day haven't heard a word about it. But I would like everyone to know that I'm safe in a nice little Ford Ranger pickup truck. You are a shiny Um, white Ford Ranger. Loving it. It's a whole new world. I feel like it's a magic carpet. I feel you're the sort of man that should have a car. You're you're yep. that neat and tidy sort of a person. You need a car to I be am. neat and tidy. You can't very be neat good and care. tidy with a motorbike. Yeah, yeah. it's it's tough. <laughs> oh, and it if is. I had a dollar for every email we've had with listeners expressing concern for your safety, I'd have. Oh, that's awesome. No dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe my mum. She might have emailed you or something like that. I figured there's one in the inbox. Righty, news. News, news, news. A few stories that have caught my eye this week. Titans of Mavericks. Titans have gone bust. Now, there will be no Titans of Mavericks contest this year. Theoretically, the the license is still sort of there, but the licenses for the for the event are being sold off as part of their sort of Chapter 11 filing for bankruptcy. So it doesn't look like there's going to be a big wave contest at Mavericks this year. Do you think that it's called cartel management, isn't it? I can't quite remember. It's, it's always referred to as cartel management. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's a big sort of... Because I think they're a media company. They make music and stuff like that as well. Oh, really? Mm. Okay, so Cartel Management were the, the organisers of the whole thing. But I don't know who the actual boots on the ground were organising the event. Yeah. Um, and whether they were also the people organising the financing. Reading the article, I, it just reminded me of that tagline you see with so many surf businesses all over the world where it says smoothies or whatever it is that they're selling buy surfers for surfers like leashes or deck pads or boards or shirts or wets whatever yeah. always buy surfers for surfers and my gut reaction to it is i don't want surfers making my smoothies i want like a really good chef making my smoothies <laughs> you know and i don't want necessarily a surfer building my 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 tail pad i want like a really good engineer who understands about rubber building my tail pad yeah if that is your logic what about surfboards that's a good question. And yeah. I was about to use surfboards <laughs> as an example. And then I was like, <laughs> you backed up. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is about, well, this is where we go back to that whole thing about how good is your own personal experience as a way of reality testing. You know, I would, I think I would rather have a, and this is just me being rather extreme probably, but I would rather have a really good algorithm with a ton of data about how water moves under a board designing my surfboards 
than a really good surfer who's just tried a board, taken out, surfed it, tried another one, it. taken out, surfed it. Uh, yeah, I'd I'd go for the former over the latter if it existed, which it obviously doesn't yet. Well, mm. more on that later. Surfing Australia, which is the national governing body for all sort of surf sport related things, uh, training contests, all that sort of stuff in Australia, have got a TV show that they're going to be running. Ronnie Blakey is involved with it. Um, there's a few other people involved, so that'll be an interesting. Again, I, I think a little attempt to try and you know move surfing a little more into the mainstream. I think that's a great idea. Love it. Back in college when I used to watch Fuel TV, it had the blend of, you know, skateboarding, wakeboarding, snowboarding. It had a little bit of everything. And my beef was we don't see nearly enough surfing that I feel like there's got to be enough of us out there that, you know, even if you ran the same stuff over yeah. and over again throughout the day and then added a new show or featured a movie every once in a while. I well, think this, it's a good is, idea. this is a, a partnership for 15 half hour episodes of one show and 12 monthly half hour shows. So not a ton of material, but enough mm -hmm. material to just sink in and, and sure. kind of bring the general population up to speed with what's going on with surf. I think it's kind of a cool idea. Me too. Um, I remember watching this Fuel TV show and it always used to surprise me because I didn't enjoy the surfing segments that much, even though I was obsessed with surfing. And I was thinking at the time, I mean, this may just have been me, but I remember thinking at the time, like, how can I love a thing so much? But the program being made about it is just really not getting me very excited. You think the way that they were putting it out there? Well, I the think, honestly, it, it's just a, a medium kind of in its infancy then, and it's just starting to kind of come of age now. And I think that the sheer amount of man hours that the WSL have had to produce of, of media um, with the tour and then with, you know, companies like Hurley doing series like the John John series, um, you know, I think it's really starting to develop now kind of as a concept ideas about making TV about surfing. I, I remember reading an interview with Kelly Slater once years and years ago, and I may, this is from memory, so I may be misquoting him, but I seem to remember him saying that he thought Big Wednesday at the time was the, the only great uh, Hollywood movie made about surfing because surfing was too simple to make a movie about so you know it had to be surfing and bank robbers and guns and planes <laughs> and, you know whereas big wednesday was just like you know these people live this life and uh -huh. with all its ups and downs and marriages and divorce and everything else and surfing was just this one running theme that's kind of constant through their life which is kind of what surfing is for most people so you know running on that kind of idea i always thought yeah well maybe surfing is too simple a thing to actually make into any other kind of movie than just a classic surf movie but you know i think that john john's series has been pretty amazing and i think that the wsl have started exploring a lot of cool ideas with all the segments that they create the little profile pieces and whatnot i still feel like the whole thing is very very early days and we've got a long way to go but on the subject of uh, of surf movies we've got the 30th anniversary of north shore I, did I say Big Wednesday was the only great surf movie ever to come out of Hollywood? What was I thinking? What were you thinking? So yeah, uh, North Shore turns 30 later this year. Been a little bit of jump about that. Um, I'm hoping for North Shore to make it to 40 still without me seeing it. <laughs> you're so Howley, you don't even know you're Howley, brah. That reference is just lost on me, Derek. Uh, did you see the newest episode of Shed Sessions, yes. the Bird Surf Shed? It was Albilea, and he picked the gun that was used on North Shore, like that board, which you guys yeah. might be more familiar with. Than... Yeah, actually, those shed sessions are great. I really, they are. really want to go. Yeah, me too. We need to take a trip. For, for listeners that haven't seen, I'll put the, the link in the show notes. But basically, this, this guy has amassed an enormous surfboard collection in what would be probably one of the, the premier surfboard museums anywhere in the world. Mm. But you can rent the boards. You can take them out. They'll put some wax on them and you can go surf them. So I don't know whether that's open, general, open to the public, but the Surfer Magazine have been getting a bunch mm -hmm. of guys to come down and grab boards off the walls. And yeah. I, I imagine it's not open to the public, just based on my experience of, I don't the, know. I, I, of the shelf life of rental surfboards. I haven't looked into it too much, but the movies seem to be pushing that. Mm. Yeah, come down and try the boards out. Yeah, it's, pr it's probably, I don't know exactly, I haven't looked into it either, but it's probably by appointment only and it costs a lot of money, I would imagine, but I'm sure... I'm fairly sure that is the sort of, you know, the process of it. So, yeah, still on the subject of movies, there's two films coming out very shortly. Today is the release date of It Ain't Pretty, which we have mentioned in the past. It's the film about the women who surf big days at Ocean Beach in San Francisco. And some of them take on Mavericks and things like that. It's a, a really, really good film. It's won a ton of awards at various film festivals. Also coming out, which might be of interest to us in the future, Cyrus Sutton has done uh, an investigation into GMOs. 
it's going to be called Island Earth, and it's talking about the the impact of GMO farming in Hawaii. Now, I'm not sure what side of the argument they're going to come down on. I've got an idea, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see if it presents a nice balanced view of it or if it, uh, it's going to come down pretty partisan. So as regular listeners to the show will probably know our consensus opinion on GMOs. But um, I watched the trailer yesterday and I was actually quite pleasantly surprised that it seemed to be offering a more balanced viewpoint rather than just, you know, growing your own food is good, GMOs are all evil. I mean, they seem to have people on there who were talking about, you know, the the real problems that are facing us in terms of feeding the population and and how GMOs are going to play an important part in resolving them. So I I, I think, yeah, definitely going to reserve judgment and just uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. President Obama is back in the water. Oh, sorry, yeah. former President Obama is back in the water. He uh, he last surfed just before his uh, inauguration. Apparently, he went body surfing. Did you and Did then... you read about that instant? Apparently, he was surfing some reef break that was fairly shallow in Hawaii, mm. and came in, and his security detail just said, "Okay, that's the last time you're surfing for eight years." <laughs> <laughs> That'd be tough, wouldn't that, it? That yeah. would suck. It was kind of a cool little video. Did you guys see it? Yeah, was in with the water Richard with Richard Branson. Yeah, I saw a few photos. When they, so they set themselves, because Richard Branson already kite surfs, mm-hmm. and he was wanting to try out the foil boards, the hydrofoils, Okay. and Obama's never kite surfed before, and so the challenge was to see who could get furthest. Yeah, I heard the there was a the little day. competition. Either, yeah. yeah. Would, would it be the foil board or yeah. the new, so yeah. The best thing to come out of that, and this is true for any <laughs> funny photos of any famous person, it's the Instagram memes that come after it. And I loved all the ones of like Joe Biden really sad looking out of a window saying, oh, he's chosen Richard, huh? <laughs> I have to say that I, I don't have kids, don't plan on it, but that moment of like seeing your kid in a photo off to college where you're kind of the proud parent and it's hurting you, but you're happy that they're happy. I saw those photos of Obama and I'm like, you've earned it, but damn i miss you come back please (laughs) i love you and i miss you i actually am a big fan of richard branson's as well and i remember reading his biography losing my virginity when i was a kid and really like it was it really changed the way i thought about careers and work and everything and there's there's a podcast i just wanted to recommend to our listeners i don't know if you guys have heard it it's called how i built this you ever heard that one? Yeah, you mentioned that one the other day. Too. Yeah, and they just kind of interview a lot of successful people and, and that kind of get their stories. Anyway, Richard Branson was on the most recent one, but I, which I think is worth listening to. And he comes across like a, like a really interesting and quite a humble guy. But what I particularly liked about it is that he talks about how our society doesn't embrace failure enough and how failure is sort of seen as a, as a negative thing, where, whereas he thinks should be encouraged and people should be encouraged to try things that will probably fail mm. and that the lessons that they take from that failure should be seen as like a positive thing we shouldn't have this whole idea of like losers and you know people that haven't succeeded at things and then you know placing a lot of importance on people that have succeeded you know our, our good friend kai talked about how when he was starting out at facebook and they were just kind of growing facebook one of their big mottos was make mistakes make them big and make them quickly uh, and that's something, you know, that I always say to our guests uh, when they arrive here. And I just think, you know, especially in surfing, because you don't break anything when you fall off. So it's not quite like skiing in that respect. But, uh, you know, I just think that that's such, a, that's such a positive message. And a good podcast as well. Yeah, how I built this. I'd check it out, listeners, if you're running out of Surf Simply podcasts. Will and I were chatting about this a little bit earlier. We take people out for a surf, and some days it's like they come in from a lesson, and the waves they caught directly affect their mood for the rest of the day. And then you have those sometimes people that come out and whether they fall on every wave and don't get a single ride, they get out of the water feeling great and got some energy, got exercise. And I'd really encourage people to be more like, you know, make those failures, but don't dwell on them. Get out of the water and whether that's metaphorically speaking or not, you know, get out of the water feeling good that you went out anyway. So, yeah, I guess on the subject of failure, I just think it's a really cool story. There's there's no results back yet. There's no video to watch or anything, but it's something to maybe keep an eye on. Beach Grit have jumped in where I think like a lot of the surf media feels like it kind of sits back and it's just reactionary to what's going on in the the industry and Beach Grit are taking a really proactive thing and they've set up a project to see if they can uh, see if one of the female surfers can land up a proper full rotation aerial. Yeah I thought it was very cool as well that they were actually jumping in and making something happen. Mm. I guess that's happened less and less recently because there's been less money to throw around. Do you remember Sally Fitzgibbons sort of did the same thing out in the Dubai wave pool a few years ago? Yeah, which which was to land uh, an air reverse, wasn't it? And then we never really saw her use it in competition after the couple of videos came out. 
And 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 I think the same thing will probably happen with Lakey Peterson because you know, if you remember in the interview with Wingnut and we were talking about nose riding and coaching and you know and he was saying how when you get to start when you're younger you just get to make a thousand mistakes and mm-hmm. that kind of learning which is called implicit learning as opposed to explicit learning which is when someone like Felipe Toledo is specifically telling you to put your foot here more like the kind of coaching that we do at Surf Simply but that implicit learning that trial and error learning that you do as a kid where you're just trying stuff over and over and over again mm-hmm. is much much more resistant to um, pressure so when you're in a pressure situation something you've learned implicitly you're much less likely to crumble rather than if you've learned it explicitly and and I, I would have thought that Lakey Peterson I mean even though she's still pretty young she's in her 20s and learning how to do our reverses now at this age explicitly from Felipe Toledo I, I'd be amazed if she's able to stick them consistently in a contest pressure situation I mean I hope she does but I think it's really good to see projects like this just being put together, even if it doesn't result in Lakey Peterson using this in competition. It will push surfing in general, you know, particularly the the, the women coming up on the QS and and the kids going through the NSSA stuff at the moment. You know, it will push them to try these manoeuvres. Are there less aerials in women's surfing competition? You know, in women's competition surfing? Yeah, there, there are. are hugely, and it's yeah. it's it's been something that's up for debate because, as far as anyone can work out, there's no physiological reason mm-hmm. why. You know, the the strength to weight ratio isn't really a part of it. Female surfer can do as big and powerful of a bottom turn and come up towards the lip with as much speed as a male surfer, mm. and you have those couple of of female surfers, Lakey Peterson, who's one of them, who can boost a big air, but it just happens a lot less. Yeah, because you can see you see twelve year old boys doing as all the time, you know, and they don't have the physical strength and power that adult men do. So I don't know that in itself sort of tells me, well, it's it's not really about that. I wonder, and I've heard other surf journalists speculate this. I find this quite convincing that it's sort of a circle. The fact that girls don't do them means that other girls don't have to do them in order to win heats. You know, it's almost like a critical mass of competitors, uh, of competitive women need to be able to do them for it to become something that you have to have as part of your game. Mm -hmm. And it's taken such a long time, even for a critical mass of of male competitive surfers to have airs as just a solid part of their competitive game for it now to be a thing where you really are not going to be winning world titles and multiple events unless you can do those airs. So, I mean... Even if it, it started now with young girls just deciding, okay, we're going to nail this. I, I, it's sort of based on how long it took the men. It's going to be like several generations, a couple of decades before it filters through to the top levels of competition. Do you think it's anything to do with whether judging criteria should move a little quicker with, say, what's going on in, in like the NSSA or, or grassroots surfing? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think you can definitely push the direction you want the sport to go by changing the judging criteria. Ultimately, though, you know, surfing is a messy business run by human beings. And just like with the longboarding situation, I guess it comes down to who is actually in the room at the time when they're deciding the criteria and what do they want? You know, I mean, I I would love to see uh, the judging in women's surfing altered so that it it forces women to start surfing in, in new and more exciting ways. But then, you know, also, and this is what happened with the men's judging, you don't want it to start being a pump down the line and try and boost an air kind of competition because people don't want to see that either. So, I mean, maybe there has to be a bit of nudging, but then that bit of pushback from the, the people who want to prioritize the carbs has to be there too to stop mm-hmm. the scales getting too tipped too much mm-hmm. in the other direction. Very quickly, in the contest news, the Volcom Pipe Pro wrapped up. Sol Bailey, the Australian, won the final, beating Adriana D'Souza, Bruce Irons and Griffin Colapinto. What were the waves like? I didn't get to see the contest. Uh, mixed. Probably the best day of the swell was Sunday, and you're not allowed to have contests on a Sunday on the North Shore. So, Why is that? Because it's a national park. Oh, so it's just day off, park. everyone's at the beach, and they want it for everyone to enjoy. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Uh, one thing you'll be very glad to see, hear that they experimented with, Rue. Mm-hmm. Alternative commentary track. Oh, really? Yeah. They had, they had the professional sort of WQS commentary track. And then they had the sort of colour guys had their own feed and you could just switch between the two feeds and they were just sitting there riffing most of the time. And then they'd sort of turn around and go, oh, there's a wave. Make a, make a bit of a comment about someone's wave, but then just go back to the general conversation they were having about the surf industry and like that. Life in general. And really uh, who did they have doing the alternative commentary? Had you heard of them before? Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, there were quite a few of the, the Volcom 
guys that they got in. Red Bull were the, the media partner for it rather than the WSL being involved. So there's a lot of the Red Bull guys were, were in there as well. It was good. So I mentioned in the intro that I'm going to Cuba next week. So we figured it'd be a good opportunity for us to discuss whether it's one, worth going to Cuba for surf or two, whether we can go to Cuba at all. Now, unfortunately, out of the four of us here, Derek is uh, not allowed to go to Cuba for, for tourist activities. So consider Cuba is so close to America. It's only actually 90 miles from Florida, from South Key Florida, West, where, yeah. Where, yeah, where Derek is from, that area. But of course, you know, most of us know that there's been a quite an interesting relationship, we'll say, between Cuba and the United States. So I'm going to give a little bit of a history because it really, that, that is sort of the main reason why surfing hasn't particularly took off in Cuba like it has in some of the other uh, Caribbean islands like Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. During the Cold War, which is, you know, sort of early 60s, uh, the U.S. severed their diplomatic relations with Cuba and it included a commercial, economic and financial embargo. And so that simply means that there's there's no trade, there's no money exchange. They can't buy each other's products because of uh, the, the Cuban revolution and Cuba's relationship with communism. So no trade, no swapsies, no nothing. And this is still in effect. Uh, it's against the law in Cuba for Cubans to buy US products. And that really means that there's no surfboards, no leashes, no wax, because most of surfing companies are, are US based. You know, and with it being such a source of products to the rest of the world, um, Cuba is really cut off from, from having surfboards and things. I also got the feeling that that's sort of like two kids being punished because their parents fell out. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, just, I mean, <laughs> I just think about Absolutely. like, uh, you know, a, you're, a, you're a young kid, you're growing up in Cuba, mm-hmm. you quite want to go surfing and you just want to get a surfboard. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that whole political backdrop has to be uh-huh. explained to you about why you can't have any yeah. wax, for example. <laughs> okay. right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so learning to surf in Cuba is, is near impossible unless you know someone who has an old surfboard or have, or have made one themselves. Uh, most of the surfboards that are there have either been left by tourists or they're home-shaped. And, and a lot of the articles that I've read about it, they use refrigerator foam and boat fiberglass to try and fashion their own boards just just wow. very similar to the board. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not sure we can quite compare the Cubans' plight to mine, <laughs> though, you know. Uh, so the community, the surfing community is kind of already on the back foot. And to make things worse, even if a Cuban were able to get a surfboard, the authorities do not like surfing. You know, it kind of sounds funny, but it's obviously very sad at the same time. A lot of Cubans um, have made attempts to get to America. They use rafts and the authorities pick up people on rafts. And so particularly in the, say, the early days, you know, throughout the 90s when when surfing started to make a bit of an appearance there, the people out on these boards would get picked up, they would be arrested, they would be questioned. And there's some talks of like police brutality with it being a, 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 you know, military police and that sort of thing, because it's, you know, again, it's... They assumed that they were trying to paddle off. Exactly, yeah. Any sort of flotation device is suspicious. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, you know, as a sport, it's it's difficult to even begin when you hear stories of that I mean why would anyone want to put themselves at risk in that way I would have thought if you run a country and people are so eager to leave that you don't even want them to have a surfboard in case they paddle away you should probably just have a like a little look in the mirror and ask if perhaps you're doing everything in the best possible way (laughs) yeah the embargo itself has has put Cuba in poverty for you know what 60 years or however however long it's been and so there is a a huge amount of resentment you know this is still obviously within living memory a lot of uh, parents and grandparents had to go through this this you know terrible life live a life in in poverty because Mm of this you know unusual relationship between you know americans so there's a huge amount of hostility and that that is still very prolific within the communities there whilst i've been doing this research um, a friend of mine ian who lived there for, for many years what well, he was an engineer out there he said one of the things you you need to be aware of is you know don't talk about the revolution um it, it's a sore point and it still is and people are still hungry people still don't have you know mm-hmm. money or supplies or chance of opportunity and mm-hmm. you know it's a very complex community to, to still be a part of so you know tourism has obviously been a part of cuba for a long time and it's only the americans the u.s that there is a problem there the rest of the world has been able to go there on cruise ships and go to resorts in cuba and not have any of the problems but as a u.s citizen going there there's still a, a hostile um, yeah. you know reception in some parts I've read that, you know, Airbnb is trying to step in and and really establish its presence in Cuba as Cuba has opened up to American Mm -hmm. tourism. And I've heard two uh, opposing points of view on Americans going to Cuba as tourists. And, you know, one is, like you said, 
to go and see this place that's largely unchanged before it does change. And the other, the other is that people feel a little bit like it's going to see animals in a zoo to go and just see a culture that has been economically mm -hmm. repressed and it mm -hmm. hasn't moved forward. But then, of course, if you don't go there, then it's not going to get that economic mm -hmm. boost and it mm -hmm. isn't going to move forward. So, I mean, the, the country certainly is going to benefit from, from people going along and, and visiting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a, a lot of the things I've been reading recently, it, it basically says that, you know, the Cuban people want tourism. It's their growing industry. It's how they can pull themselves out of, out of the, you know, the economic problems that they've been having. And so opening up that tourist market to America, mm -hmm. the closest geographical country or, or one mm -hmm. of the biggest populations in the world, you know, having that as a, as a resource is, is, it's just ridiculous to not encourage that. Not necessarily a government part, point of view, but from a Cuban person's yeah. point of view. Do they still have the dual currency over there? They yeah. do. They, so that you've got tourist tourist money and correct. Money and it's and, a, yeah, it's against the law for a tourist to use Cuban money, and they have a currency really? specifically for yeah. tourists. And, wow. and it's against the law for the locals to use tourist money. So if you're paid, you have to go to the bank to change it in. You have to have a legitimate reason why you would have wow. tourist money. So, so is that is that to give, or historically has that been to give the government some sort of control over what's tourist dollars and what's just local money circulating around? I, I assume so. It's to, it's to give the government complete control over the yeah. tourist industry. Keep a track yeah. of it. Wow. You, you can't have any entrepreneur just open their house up to Airbnb because there's no way Ooh. for that to happen. Wow, I had yeah. no there's idea no, there was all that going There's on. no way that you can just decide you're going to run a surf school on the beach. Because unless you're approved to use the, the tourist money, you can't spend it. Let's, so let's talk about how, the, the, you know, there's been recent changes. That they call mm -hmm. it the Cuban Thor, which I love that name. It's amazing. <laughs> the Cuban Thor. I was just imagining <laughs> no. Thor with a hammer, but doing some like sexy salsa dance. I heard, I heard Thor, like they were frozen and now Cuba's Thor. Yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, that's that's it. it. Yeah, yeah. So um, in December 2014, Obama started talks with Raul Castro, the president of Cuba, and they lifted some of the US travel restrictions and also fewer restrictions on remittances where it's, uh, Cubans in the US can send money back to Cuba. So that, that is now um, relaxed a little bit. And also US banks now have access to the Cuban financial system um, and the US reopened their embassy in Havana. So it's, you know, we're right at the beginning of this. And, you know, unfortunately, with the recent US election, things might change for better or worse again, because, you know, Trump is, is critical of Obama's executive order with, with Cuba. But at the moment, it what, and could what, be a little unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right now, for a U.S. citizen to go to Cuba, they have to. It, it's against the law to go for tourism. The U.S. have decided that. That's their restriction there. However, there are twelve categories that uh, an individual can fall within to visit Cuba. And there, for example, they are people to people, religious, education, sporting event, and to support the Cuban people. Um, and they're sort of the categories. And the, the reality of it is that you don't really need a lot of documentation to fall or reason to fall within those. It's, it's kind of, you know, ambiguity has created a method of going to Cuba, you know, in inverted co commas for tourism, um, for example. And I mean, a lot of U.S. people go there on holiday and have been for, you know, since then. And, and that is how they're, they're now doing it. So you need to get a, a visa from either the airline will issue a visa or you'll have to stop at what they call a gateway city. Um, that's actually how most US people went before this Cuban thaw. They went via um, one of the Central American countries and no, their passport wasn't stamped. They would pick up this visa on the way and that would get stamped. And then when they went back into America, the American authorities, as far as they were concerned, only went to that gateway country rather than going all the way to Cuba. But, I heard stories about the Cuban officials sort of faking a stamp on a passport, you know, just, just yeah, to like to tease. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it you telling me that? Uh, no, but I think maybe we were me. together when we heard that. Yeah. It, they would ask to see the passport when they came in and you'd have this like group of uh, businessmen or a stag do or something. They'd come up with this idea that we're going to go to Cuba. They've flown via Mexico. The passport official would open the passport up, look at it. Fine. You're expecting that. Pick up his stamp roll it around in the ink at which point all the guys on this shaking shaking <laughs> like if, if that hits my passport like i am screwed when i get back and they'd lift it up and then just at the last minute pull the passport aside and just stamp the desk <laughs> and hand it hand the passport back with oh, a big smile not yeah. even funny not even funny don't like those scenarios <laughs> um so yeah so essentially that's that's how you can go now and and a lot of people do um and a lot of people go to surf um there is 
So was it was it the section of sipping jet streams with Aussie Wright skateboarding around the streets uh-huh. of Cuba? I can hear yeah. the song in my head. Uh, right well, now. I watched that recently. I had a, that memory in my head, but I couldn't figure out what film it was. But yeah, I watched that recently. And there's actually quite a lot of uh, videos on YouTube that that claim to be Cuba. And the surf there can get amazing. Uh, even if you just go on Magic Seaweed, there are 12 listed surf spots around the, the coast of Cuba, mostly on the Atlantic coast. And there's a little bit of shallow water and some um, some small islands and reefs to the north, but it looks like a lot of the swell through uh, gaps in the islands, I guess, still makes it through. And that seems to be the more consistent coast. There's also a few spots on the Gulf side that face northwest during some of those, I guess, the wind swells and hurricane swells that hit the Gulf. Um, I guess it's somewhere that's not particularly guaranteed to surf. You have to have a have a short term window you know you have to think okay ready to go i can go next week is is there swell or not and that's what we're going to do um we're going to wait until a day before pretty much to decide whether we're going to take boards or not cool i spent a couple of months on jamaica on the north coast of jamaica which you can there it's Mm -hmm. it's not that far away and then i was in the cayman islands for a couple of months and we got pretty good surf Mm -hmm. those are both to the south of of cuba so yeah you might get lucky so it sounds like more the kind of trip that you might plan to go to cuba and bring a surfboard with you rather than plan a surf trip uh, yeah. And if you're planning exactly. it further out, and yeah, you, you, yeah, you know. absolutely. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of a lot of reports and a lot of videos on YouTube. Not too many details with regards to beaches and things. It seems the Guantanamo area, where uh, it's called, you'll have to excuse me, any Cubans listening, Baracoa, and there's a video on YouTube called Denny G chasing tubes in Cuba. Um, Say that quickly three times. Denny G chasing <laughs> tubes in Cuba. Nailed it. And if I my standards it's a honking left it kind of looks like g-land whether i don't know if it is cuba or not but that's the title of the video and and there's no reason to believe that denny g wasn't chasing tubes (laughs) in cuba um and it's it's yeah it's a honking left-hand barrel wave it's like a freight train it's amazing and there's you know ian walsh has been there who's the red bull surfer visited um on Perez lanigua uh, with new boards and they made a film called surfing to Baracoa and there's a lot of footage there of, of some pretty fun reefs. Um, Havana has two reefs like right over the, the sea wall there, you know, that you can surf on the right swell. And so the island, it, there's like 3000 miles of coastline and yeah. most of it hasn't been uh, in the surfing probably. world, hasn't been exposed. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's a, a very cool, you know, perhaps the new frontier with surfing in the Caribbean. I mean, yeah. it looks from looking at Google Maps, you know, it kind of looks like the Bahamas and some of the surrounding islands might create a little bit of a shadow. But I guess either the swell gets through or would you be having low pressure systems to the south of some of those islands just off the coast of Cuba? So both. So like I say, when I was down in the Caymans, we were getting swell coming up from the south from low pressures that were sitting down in the Caribbean Sea sort of off Venezuela and and Panama and stuff like that and that punches swell up north past Jamaica and the Cayman Islands but equally when I was in Jamaica we would actually have swell coming in through the gap between Haiti and Cuba and and you know it would come all the way through the Turks and Caicos and and all the way through and you'd, you'd get good waves I mean I was surfing overhead waves on the north coast of Jamaica and there was one day in the Caymans it was pumping. Have you seen Buena Vista Social Club? No but I do like Buena Vista Social Club music. Chan Chan. Chan Chan. That's yeah. it. <laughs> we, Jesse and I, to sort of prepare for the trip, we now listen to almost exclusively Cuban music. <laughs> yeah, we're so excited. We're gonna, there's so much to do there, you know. And, and uh, I, I mean, obviously I haven't been yet, but from everything that I've researched, bef- you know, whilst mm-hmm. planning this trip, mm-hmm. it's easy to get to for most of us. Uh, it, it's The people are amazing. Their culture is incredible yeah. and vibrant and there's so much music and dancing and, yep. and history. And, you know, I, I would really recommend anyone interested to just do a bit of research and, and yeah book growing up i had a lot of cuban friends my best buddy through middle school playing basketball and stuff robbie ortiz give him a shout out his family used to come visit all the time and between the food the culture just super warm people it was awesome and yeah. having that that influence growing up helped me with conjugating verbs pronunciation <laughs> and so now living in costa rica all those years hanging out with my ortiz crew yeah. has helped me a lot as we both know, Jesse, who you're going with, is usually the first person on the dance floor, <laughs> barely even waiting yeah. for the music to begin. Yeah. Are you going to be embracing that with her? Or oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, we, yeah we're going to go to, um, there's a, it's sort of a celebration of Cuban culture in music and dance. And you go, it starts at like 9 p.m., which is late <laughs> for me already. Um, but you basically, you sit at a, in this kind of jazzy club sort of thing. They, they have a live band and they play music. You have dinner there whilst watching it. And then at midnight, 
they clear the tables the band goes to one side and they play f and they give you a cuban dance lesson oh my god how cool is that that's amazing, that's amazing. yeah well I, you, but you've you, got you're... to stay up till midnight yeah i know i was just I gonna know. say danny and <laughs> i could never that. go on vacation with them we, <laughs> no. we wouldn't make it at to appetizers <laughs> uh so yeah you and jesse who you're going with are both uh, avid instagrammers and if for any of our listeners that want to follow your adventures through cuba what are you what are you and jesse's instagram handles? um mine is at will in the water and jesse's is Jesse Khan's 22. Yeah. But this also might turn into a bit of a magazine article, I thought, because if we get some cool photos and, and give people a bit of an idea as to when and where to go, if we do get surf, you know, we're still going to do a bit of exploring for the coastline as well to some of these more awesome. uh, recommended spots. Even if we've got nothing, it'd be cool to see the coast. Cuba and Havana, it's just one of those places where it's got that mystical kind of romantic mm -hmm. sense about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to be said actually for the. Uh, it just you just reminded me of the the Plan B approach to surf trips. You know, when you're going somewhere where you basically know you're going at prime swell season and you're going on a surf trip and like you hope to get waves, but you understand that you might not, and that's just your classic surf trip. But I always think that the Plan B surf trip, where you go somewhere, perhaps like Cuba, where you think, okay, I've got like a 50-50 chance of scoring waves. So before you go, you have a little bit of a like four or five things you, you're going to do if you if there might not be any waves kind of listed out mm. so that you don't end up making the mistake of going somewhere and then just being bummed that no waves rock up. Yeah. And I think most places in the world, at best, you've got a 50-50 chance of waves anyway. So I think that's a really good tactic for approaching Definitely. surf travel. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. So listener emails, we're working through our back catalogue. We've got one from Troy Obrero, who stayed with us a few months ago. Uh, he asks, I'm fairly certain that I outweigh some of the coaches at Surf Simply by as much as 50 pounds. Do you think that there is an optimal body size and type for surfing? I mentioned wanting to drop a pound or 20 to Andre. If we're all on team, we want to be Lulu. Surfing into our older years, being built like a bulldog probably is counterproductive. Thoughts? Uh, so for those of you that haven't stayed here, Andre is our stretch instructor and Lulu is our muffin magician. Well, she's actually retired now. She doesn't make muffins for us any longer, but she did for many years. And now she enthusiastically is out in the water surfing and she's 70. And 69. 69. She would pull you up for saying 70. Oh, that's 69. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Derek, you've done a little a little diving in on this? Yeah, I got excited when I saw Troy's name. Want to give him a little shout out. Did and you feel like you wanted to address this one because of your <laughs> <laughs> some of those photos? I've... Okay, so listeners, Derek, who I'm sitting uh -huh. next to you right now, is ripped. But I've seen photos of you from high school and that wasn't always the case. I right? used to pack a few more pounds on. I drank a few more beers back in the day and didn't exercise as much. Photos of you at high school <laughs> and now are like those really bad adverts with the before and after, before and after yeah, yeah, yeah. the internet that you think there's no and way that's real. When that's I was quote unquote fat, I looked in the mirror, I was like, no, it's okay, I'm, in, it's all right. I'm, not, I'm not bodybuilder or anything, but I'm okay. And then looking back at those pictures, I was like, ooh, Derek, I wish somebody had told me. I like that you combined it with also having much bigger hair. Yeah, yeah, I did. It yeah. was afroed out a little bit. Anyway. I really wanted to reach out to Troy and, and follow up with this one because I have always felt that no matter what size you are, maybe if you're a bit taller, it might be a little bit harder to find that balance if you're a beginner because you have a higher center of gravity. But he puts in his email kind of being built like a bulldog. I feel like there's plenty of bulldog-shaped guys out there that I really love the way they surf when you think about like a Michelle Burris or going back to Mark Acalupo or something like that. So I did a little reading and Nick Carroll – this was an article on Surfline, says that there's no evidence to suggest that your height will adversely affect your ability to surf your brains out. It will most certainly affect your surfing style, i.e. the way you move on a wave. One big reason why surfing is different for just about everyone is that we rely on body mechanics to balance and drive the board along the line of the wave. And everyone's bodies are put together in different fashions. So I thought that kind of hit home with, uh, with regards to it, it changes the way we surf, but not whether we can or not. Yeah. Um, just real quick, uh, we've got world champions over six feet tall. That include Matt Young, Sean Thompson, Mark Richards. And then we all think, I think what Troy's kind of thinking is that that 5'9", Kelly Slater, Tom Curran, Martin Potter. But I was interested what you guys had to say about that one. I would say it changes the way you surf, but not whether you can or not. Because we can always counter with volume of board. What size board are you on? You know, there's a there's a guy named, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right, a Jimbo Pellegrine or Pellegrine. And there's footage of this guy charging at spots like Chopu, getting barreled out of his brain. And his, his style, his stance, his body mechanics, his feet, hips, hands, and head, if you will, 
look really solid. And he's just got a heavy, heavy board with thick rails under him. And he, he knows how to move his weight around and look really stylish. But he happens to be a huge dude. So <laughs> if it's who I'm thinking of, he doesn't surf much anymore because he doesn't have an arm. He did lose an arm. You showed yeah. me a picture of it. He's like like the big guys that Volcom has hanging around the house. You know, the big sort of North Shore enforcers. But he is, he is he's big. Huge. He, you would look at him and you'd Wait, say, Define big, sorry. Like muscly? Close or to 300 or pounds? Tall or? No, like 300 pounds fat. Okay. Offensive fat. lineman. Right. Yeah. NFL offensive lineman. But rips. You know, he'll go out. He surfs a bigger board. It's normally like a 6'8", six, 6'6", six, six, something like that. But he'll Shortboard shape, it. though. Yeah, shortboard yeah. shapes. Mm-hmm. He's sponsored by Matt Biolas, I think, and oh, okay. uh, lost. But, yeah, I don't think he surfs very much at the moment because he was driving along the North Shore, uh, along the Cam Highway. He had his arm out the window. Truck came the other way, ripped his arm off. Oh. So he just drove himself into casualty. Oh, that's pretty hard to That's guy. pretty fucking nice. Yeah. I was at, my my mum once had her leg broken by a charging sheep and drove herself to a casualty. But I think he may have one up on her. <laughs> yeah. Which is a pretty hard woman, my mum. Well, um, to Troy. But no, I mean, you know, the other person that I think about is Oki, post comeback Oki, when he was still really overweight, surfing at Bells in, uh, I can't remember the name of the contest. It wasn't like a world title contest back then. But if you watch the documentary, there's a section of it in there. And he's still pretty overweight. Mm-hmm. And he's just banging that wave off the top over mm-hmm. and over again. And the extra weight that he's got, he's really using. So every time he hits the lip and comes back down off the lip, you know, all of that weight is driving against Dropping. the turn and bringing him back down. Mm-hmm. Probably um, throws more spray too. Yeah, and there's all, all the more spray coming off. Uh, <laughs> local surfer down here as well, Alonzo, who, who works at one of the uh, surf camps here in town as well. Quite a heavy guy. Uh, and again, the way he surfs off the top, he really uses all of that. And it's not muscle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure he won't mind mm-hmm. saying that. But he really uses all of that weight when he when he hits the lip. So and it stylish. looks good and it's so stylish. Um, yeah, I, I just, I mean, you, you don't want to be carrying around weight that you're not using. But that could be muscle that you're not using or fat that you're not using. You don't often see surfers that are, you know, big bodybuilder shapes. But unless you're really physically trying to build extra muscle mass, you know, and you're really going to the gym and kind of that's your thing, I I wouldn't recommend that as being helpful for surfing. But unless you're going to be competing at the very highest level and looking for that little 1% edge to, to, you know, push you over the finish line in front of the other guy, if you're a recreational surfer, as as I know Troy is and as as we are, um, I don't think that that having that bulldog body shape, as he describes it, is prohibitive of, of becoming really, really good. I, yeah, I mean, the, the big thing I, I would say is that shape, size, weight, none of that particularly matters. The, the biggest thing that we see, you know, holding people back is flexibility. You can retain, if you can retain the flexibility, you can, you can get very big and heavy and muscly, or you could get very big and heavy and fat, or you could really carry no weight at all and and be skin and bones if you've got the flexibility you can do everything and if you don't have the flexibility regardless of body size and shape you're going to struggle and i would say that that's far more important in terms of longevity of surf than anything than worrying about height and weight i'd also say that just personally when i'm watching either a free surfer competition as cool as it is to see people get way above the lip at john john philippe toledo doing really technical aerials there's just something about really good rail-to-rail surfing that i absolutely love again michelle burr is watching him surf just really leaning on his rails and with a little bit stockier build like an aki yeah throwing buckets out the back just huge huge sprays and really leaning on the bottom turn that's what when i'm watching surf i really love like i'll rewind a big hack that john john throws where i've never rewound an air what i was going to say is just going the other way you know, we've all been talking about the benefits of being a little bigger and a little heavier. The other end of the scale, being very small and lightweight, can have disadvantages. You know, a lot of times you don't see people leaning on the rail so much. But the flip side is, you know, Sally Fitzgibbons mm-hmm. is probably one of the smaller girls on tour. She's not that short. She's 5'7", but she's only 120 pounds. And I would say the big thing that she did over the last two years that's really improved her surfing is her rail game has improved. And she, mm-hmm. she takes all of that weight that she has and puts it behind the rail of her board mm-hmm. and does big, hard, aggressive on-rail surfing, despite being, I mean, not quite, but not far off half of my weight. And surfing with Sofia Milanovic when she was here, mm-hmm. who is, I don't know, 5'1", 5'2", possibly just, just over 100 pounds mm-hmm. and just doing such powerful turns off the top because her timing was so good. There was one news item or article, I guess, that came out that we didn't get around to talking about this episode, which was Beach Grit, and they were sort of critiquing Gabrielle Medina's style. Mm. 
and you know saying all the things that were wrong with his style of surfing uh, and they argued that he was such a good surfer not because he was technically very good but because he was so committed and the one thing that they didn't highlight they might have mentioned it but i feel like it was the most important factor and they didn't really bring it up was that his timing is so good really good timing and by that i mean when you do your turns like what moment do you start your cutback what moment do you finish it and of course surfing off the bottom and hitting the lip that that timing is even more time critical than those horizontal maneuvers Mm -hmm. that timing can is is almost more important than anything else you can have a not perfect stance you can be a little overweight if your timing's good the effects of that will totally swamp almost everything else that you're doing so I hope that answers your question, Troy. If any of you other listeners have questions for us that you'd like our opinion on, then please do send them in. You can email me at uh, podcast at surfsimply.com. Uh, and if any of you fancy sending in an audio file as well, that would be great. Okay, last thing in this episode then is the what to watch section. So first up this week, uh, Rue, you mentioned earlier that you wanted a mathematician fluid dynamicist to design your surfboard. Firewire just put out a really, really cool little video. They got someone who is involved in computational fluid dynamics, uh, who does computer modeling effectively of airflow around uh, high performance sports cars who also happens to be a surfer, who came in and did a load of of modeling on surfboards and modeling the water flow around different designs. I felt that they skimmed over a few things a little bit, but it did then also have a bounce back and forward with the guys at Firewire and say, yeah, look, this is just... Just the beginning. This is just the beginning, right? This is just us playing with with what we can do with this, and we definitely like want to do more. So I'm, I'm super excited to uh, see what they do with it. That's why I, I think Firewire is such a great company to follow. Mm because they just seem so interested and want to try try all these kind of new things. Yeah, uh, you weren't so impressed with it, Will. But. I just felt that there was more information that they could have told us. Mm. You know, it, it was very brief and a little bit vague and we like science and we like the information. We want to know exactly what the, the, you know, the water is doing under pressure and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And they just didn't quite, you know, maybe it was deliberately a teaser. I think, it, um, I mean, it was, it was already a 15 minute movie. Yeah being that and I, I, I suspect from a marketing side of things they might have pumped that out to see what the interest was yeah the but also something that we've found just since we've been doing this show that we didn't know was the case before is that there are a lot of people out there who like us like you guys really do want to get stuck into the technicalities of everything surf related and even everything peripheral to surfing you know and when we, when we started the show we had this sort of like oh I wonder how off topic we can go I wonder how technical we can get are we going to like are we going to lose our surf audience? And we found just our feedback from the listeners is exactly the opposite. A lot of people in the surf media are possibly a little afraid to make something too technical, too cerebral, because um, that's not really in line with what surf culture has traditionally been. But um, yeah, I, I like that Firewire are kind of starting to go in that direction. I'd like to see more of it. Yeah. What's your what to watch, Will? So my what to watch is the little advert from McTavish Surfboards. Uh, it's about one of their surfboards. It's a longboard. It's it's a little bit arty, perhaps, but it's very, very beautiful. In terms of like product marketing, I think they've nailed it. The surfboard is called the Dirt Nap, which is, you know, it's it's they claim it's an intermediate to advanced surfers. Um, but the advert, everybody needs to watch. It's very, it's it's kind of like a, a Woody Gooch photo in an advert form. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. They nailed it. It's interesting as well. I realized watching that, that when was the last time that you saw a video sales pitch for a board? Like quite often, you know, if they release a pro model shortboard, they'll have some clips of Mick Fanning surfing his pro model. Yeah. But it's not an advert for the board. It's just some clips that they've gathered together of Mick Fanning surfing. Whereas Mm -hmm. this is, we're going to go out and we're going to shoot an advert for this board. And I don't know that I've ever actually seen that no, before. No, I think you're right. I guess the closest maybe that come are the Hayden Shapes adverts. But again, it's just clips of yeah. Craig Anderson shredding on that particular board. It's not a... It's yeah. not yeah. a deliberately shot someone coming out with the camera going, Hi, I'm your average Joe surfer. <laughs> and when it's on shore, I like to grab my Fred Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Derek? What's your what to watch? Um, Harry, actually, you mentioned this one to me. This is The More Things Change. It's a Patagonia film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on Vimeo. And it's uh, Jerry Lopez talking about a very special spot to him, which is Uluwatu, and kind of the way it was before they arrived. One thing that was really interesting was they talked about when in his first arrival to Uluwatu, there was no plastic packaging, period. It was all glass or paper or something like that. So any the custom was just chuck trash in the river, big mm. storm comes, it all washes out, and the ocean would kind of take care of the rest. Yeah. 
but over the years the packaging has changed so much that it built up and became a pretty solid problem. And it's tragic when you fly over Bali now, yeah. when you're coming in, you can see like a brown halo around the whole island. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the, the amount of... And it, and anywhere in Indo, is going mm-hmm. along the boats and you just see everyone mm-hmm. throwing everything off the side. It's, it, it being such a beautiful place, it makes it even hard. You're walking around New York City, you see a can on the ground. It's like, eh, it's New York City. It's places. New York City like, is a smells piece of like litter. Piss. Yeah, like Louis C.K.'s <laughs> yeah, bit yeah. on New York City. But you see a place like Bali and you just, it's so precious. And from the sky to see something like that, it's got to be, it's heart-wrenching. But there's the Uluwatu project going on right now. And that's that's something that the video was there to promote. And it's all part of, you know, kind of rebuilding the area as it blew up pretty quick. And so they described it as it's everyone's problem, but it's nobody's problem. What about the water? What about the trash? And, yeah. and it's really informative, interesting. He talks about his relationship with G-Land a little bit, which is cool. Great music as well. So the more things change. Yeah, I really enjoyed that movie. The one thing that got me about it that mm-hmm. I couldn't quite reconcile myself with was <laughs> there was this whole thing all the way through. Because he, he, there's Dave Rastovich and Rob Machado. Mm-hmm. Both of them just singing the praises of mm-hmm. you know how Jerry's still ripping at the age that he is. Right. And they went, you know, for a couple of weeks to Uluwatu and a week to G-Land or whatever. Uh, and he's surfing fine. Yeah. But when you compare it to the clip that came out at exactly the same time of Derek Ho pulling into Pipe uh-huh. and Derek's four years younger or something. I mean, it, yeah. the, the thing for me was that, you know, Jerry is such an interesting person. Mm-hmm. I, like, I would love to sit down and just pick his brains about the things he's seen and things he's done but at the end of the day he he is a a mid 60 year old guy Mm -hmm. who doesn't surf on a regular basis he's moved to oregon he's snowboarding Mm -hmm. he's not in the water all that often and i think there's so many more angles that they could have taken the commentary rather than man jerry still rips at his age because i think there's guys on the beach here who are the same age or older Mm -hmm. who surf as well if not better and Pat is 74 and rides Pat's a shortboard out there every day. I would see, I've seen Pat surf better like here than I've saw Jerry surf in that video. Mm-hmm. I think what you were hearing, you know, maybe just to try to figure out where they were coming from, consider your sources, Dave Rostovich and then uh, Rob Machado. Yeah, very, absolutely. very cool guys that are, their lives align with Jerry a little bit more. Maybe yes. they look up to him so much. They're his hero for so many years that they may... But pump him up a little more than he deserves credit for with regards to surf these a- days. Absolutely, but uh, that was in, not... that was in an interview with the film crew, uh-huh. and somebody doing the edit uh-huh. made the decision to put a half-hour movie out, yeah. where one of the big takeaways was look at Jerry Lopez ripping, mm-hmm. and they knew going into building that that they didn't have footage of Jerry Lopez ripping right by comparison to right. other people of his age in the industry and from just, a yoga perspective just struck... he's ripping in that in that film he's yeah, doing absolutely. some poses and postures that you would have to do yoga for you and so for some people that's like us watching a huge top turn or something like that but so I, I think it goes back to again just what i kind of touched on before which is that within the surf culture and surf media specifically there's kind of two camps there's the uncritically pro everything positive vibes let's just be full of praise for everything Mm -hmm. and then there's the punk let's be you know the noah dean let's be anti-establishment and Uh be unthoughtfully critical of everything Uh and you know what what i think we've discovered through talking with all of our listeners is that actually there is a a a big demographic of surfers out there who actually want to be thoughtfully critical but not in a cynical way and not in a dismissive way but actually they want to inquire and understand you know what's more educated yeah yeah yeah. Rue, what's your what to watch? Well, so I was talking about how amazing John John is before, and mm-hmm. he is amazing. Anyway, <laughs> episode seven came out uh, of the John John 12 series, which was the last one. And I was kind of, I was watching it through, and, and it's him at Haliva and him at Sunset and Pipe Masters. And um, Haliva, there were some big days, and it was cool watching him surf there. Pipe Masters was like a little underwhelming this year compared to what it has the potential to be. And then um, about halfway through the video, he says, well, now I'm going to take some time off and just free surf for the next month or so with my friends. And... And it's just the sickest four or five minutes of footage that I've seen since I think I watched View from a Blue Moon when it came out a year ago. And it's got an amazing soundtrack. I think it's called uh, Wire by Red Fang. Kind of sound like Wolf Mother or Zeppelin or something like that. <laughs> and it's got him. Do, do you guys remember um, One Track Mind, that mm-hmm. movie, the mm-hmm. Woodshed Productions movie that's about 10 years old and it had Andy Irons? surfing at p-pass i think and he was doing these beautiful cut downs like cutbacks but off of the top of the wave long carving turns Mm -hmm. off the top of this heavy 10 foot face 
and uh, and it and, and that was one of my favorite surfing sections of all time and then watching this seeing john john do the same thing in big even bigger like 15 foot faces trough to peak doing these big smooth cut downs right calves off the top of the wave coming down i mean it yeah it gave big, me goosebumps big man hacks <laughs> yeah just absolutely beautiful surfing definitely awesome. worth watching they're cool all right ladies and gents that is all we have time for for this episode you can, as I mentioned earlier, get hold of me through podcast at surfsimply.com. Uh, you can contact the other guys through social media, Rue. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Surfing Simply. Well, you know, what my Instagram at Will and the Water. Derek? Instagram, Derek underscore Dedeker. There we go. So uh, that's all from us for this episode then. Uh, until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye, Bye. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.